0: So, I don't know if you've checked media or the news lately. Uh, there is some pain in this world. In fact, you're reminded every time you flick onto Twitter, social media that what is going on is pain in this world. Another death, another abuse, another racial discrimination, another overdose, another picture of a hungry child, another moral failure of someone that you thought had it all together, another collapse of the institution. We are rife with pain in this world. And so naturally, even this week, I've heard stories, people in this community of shootings in our community. There's more overdoses that are happening, more separations, marriages on the rocks, relationships dividing. And we're reminded of this pain. And what's your reaction when it becomes too much? When there's wars of Ukraine and Russia that are spilling over to the world? What happens to you when you see earthquakes in Turkey and Syria? What happens to your heart when you see the pain and suffering? When you drive through Washington town and you see the pain and suffering, what do you do in your heart? One of the natural reactions that seems to happen is we like to escape to the heavenly realm through our kind of cracked, viewpoint, we try and hope for something more than what we see, right? Because that's what we're told as Christians. The world is getting worse. Just hope that one day, don't worry about this world. It's going to be good. We're going to see those pearly gates. You're going to walk to Peter and maybe get enough questions answered right. Maybe you're sharpening up on your Bible trivia that you come to the gates. You're thinking, am I enough to come into this space? Because This place on earth is bad, and we have been exiled from heaven, the good place, and we're wanting to get back to the good place. Maybe that's the biblical narrative that you have been told, that when you are told to receive the gospel, you're receiving the gospel as a fire insurance, or a little kind of membership card that when you come to the gates, you say, I'm with Jesus. Jesus. That maybe your whole spirituality has been about the one day that you will see Jesus. The one day when everything that he's going to make well and right. One day. I love it on the Alpha video last week. um, The girl asked, the question was asked, if God was real, what would you ask him? Do you remember that? What would you ask him? And she would ask, am I doing it right? How many of you have had that question inside of your hearts that if you could ask God right now anything, hey, Brandon, if you turn down the volume on me and bump the gain, there's some static going on. I don't know what's... Technology. This morning, there is a spiritual warfare. My week has been hell this week and trying to sort technology and all that good stuff. I don't understand it. Bump the gain a bit more on me. Anyways... We ourselves have this question of, God, am I doing life right? And fear is a great motivation. Maybe you grew up with some fire and brimstone preaching, turn or burn. If you don't get your life together, you're going to go to hell. And hell is a great motivator. It does some things to you. It moves you. It motivates you. I mean, sometimes it helps motivate my kids, right? (laughs) Like we all have a bit of motivation in our lives fear that you won't make it. Fear drives you. The fear that the world's ending. But what if living for this one day, this escapism is just making your life, your spiritual walk really boring? That actually you're just living for the one day that never really is in this reality. And actually you live a compartmentalized spirituality. I had uh, some friends of other religions. I won't name names of, of the denominations, but they would live one day on the Sunday, and then every other day would live completely differently because they were living for the one day. The one day that if I just live a morally good life, right, because that's all it requires. If I need to go to heaven, I just need to be a morally good person, and then I can get into the pearly gates. And I would argue that that is not the biblical narrative. And actually, the, the, in the Western world, specifically America, Christianity of this one day is actually causing us to be anemic as spiritual Christians, that actually we are not living the full gospel that Jesus himself actually proclaims. And so I feel like there's going to be three groups in this room today. Maybe you're going to be brand new to this whole teaching and you're going to have a knee-jerk reaction today. You're going to be like, why did no one tell me this? Or there'll be such disbelief that how on earth is this possible? And I would encourage you to lean into the questions today. I would encourage you to hunger. Maybe for some of you in this room, this will be some understanding. And hopefully this will build upon the new principle that you have and maybe for you, you've been walking with Pastor Craig for many years, and this is just a yes and amen message, and you're just going to love the words that are coming out of my mouth today, but all of this is to precurse what we believe God is wanting to do in our church. God has given us some fresh vision, and I feel it really important to go back to a foundational piece in this church to help build us on what God wants to do in and through us today. Does that sound okay? You don't have a choice, but it was good that you said okay. And so we are today in this series, a couple of weeks, we're going to be rethinking heaven. So get out your Bibles. Let's go back to the Mark 12 passage. Mark 12, verse 28, you can turn on your Bible or you can open it up however you wish. But I think it's really important to read together as we go back through this passage. The context of this story is, what is Jesus' view of heaven? This is the question of the day. We have been wrestling with the question as well. What do we think heaven is going to be like? This was exactly the same. But more importantly, the question always was, how do I get into heaven? Think the rich young ruler. How do I get eternal life, Jesus? the question of the day was the wrestling of all the Pharisees. And so they love to ask the question and these Pharisees in particular want to trip up Jesus. They want to cause him to fall and to not be able to impart his kingdom. The religious spirit is coming against. And so this scribe, this Pharisee, this teacher of the day comes with the fundamental question, which commandment is most important of all? And so rabbis love to extend teaching but they also love to whittle down teaching there is 613 laws but david managed in uh, psalm 15 to whittle them down to 11 and some of the other prophets tried to whittle it down to the one and so the rabbi would always carry like the phrase the catchphrase we we have catchphrases right Uh, just do it nike like we have the principles and so jesus asked what is kind of like your one-liner of what it means to go to heaven. And the thoughts of the day was, two wrestling components of the rabbi was, be holy as God is holy. That was the one side. That's what it means to get to eternal life. And the other was, love your neighbor as yourself. So those are two conflicting views of the day. And Jesus, for the first time, marries the two together. He quotes the Shema in Deuteronomy 6 and says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength that is right. To honor God is everything. And then he tailors together the loving your neighbor as yourself. If you were part of our Leviticus series, that was one of the laws in that space. And so Jesus is unifying two thoughts of the day and bringing them together for the first time. And that's why I think the Pharisees were like, wow, he's got it. And this guy, yes, and they him. But I want to focus in on that last Line, because this is really pivotal. This is what shut all the Pharisees up in this moment. You are not far from the kingdom of God. What on earth does that mean? What, is, what does that mean to be not far from the kingdom of God? Heaven is around you. Is that what you're saying, Jesus? Heaven is around you when you honor God and when you show love to one another. The heaven invades in this space. Is that what you're saying, Jesus? That heaven actually overlaps one another when we honor God and when we love our neighbor as ourselves. You are not far from the kingdom of God. Is that what you're saying, Jesus? And so, to understand that, we're just going to take a little hop and a skip through the Genesis straight through the Old Testament, very quickly today. And I've got pictures, by the way, so that always helps, right? From the Bible Project, I love these guys, and so the artwork will be fun if you don't want to listen to me. But the Garden of Eden, so we begin the story of the union of heaven and earth. God made the heavens and the earth. There was light, there was land, there was animals, there was all sorts of wonderful things, and he made humans. He made this space called Eden where Earth and heaven were overlapping where there was beautiful presence, holistic joy, abundance, life, flourishment. The kingdom and earth reigning together. In that language, the very first time, if you just want to go to the front page of your Bible, or maybe even the second page, real easy skip, maybe you can leave your finger there. We'll leave that passage for now. But Genesis chapter 1, God creates everything. And then in verse 27, He says, So God created man in his own image. In his image, God created him male and female. He created them. And God blessed it. He blessed it and he said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth, as our church is doing, and subdue it and have dominion dominion, kingdom language, rule, reign, over the fish and the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So the opening lines, God brings order to chaos. The world was formless and void. There was this chaos. He brought order to creation and the kingdom of heaven and earth unite. And God calls man and woman to rule and reign the earth see, opening passages. And I love that God loves to share. God's not like us. He doesn't hoard his things up. No, he is willing to generously give. A principle I'd love to teach my children. You know, it is in your image, if you move as an image bearer of God, to share the abundance of God's good and perfect world. God is all about sharing. But we decide that we don't want to share. The fall occurs. There's a coup that happens, a change of ownership. And we decide that we want to determine what good and evil is. So we take of the apple. We take of it. And so we can decide what is good and evil. And how does that go for us? Terrible, bad, use whatever word you want. It's just destructive. Destruction happens. And so the two worlds separate. You'll see in the Old Testament, a lot of language used, heaven, the kingdom of God, eternal life. And for us, the world, the present age, the age of sin and death. And so these two worlds separate apart and hell breaks out on earth. So much so that God looks at the earth that he's made and is sorry that he ever made it. And so he deconstructs the world by flooding it. But interestingly, he gathers a family and says, Would you live differently? Would you live differently and would you bring renewal to this world? And so he takes that family. But again, it doesn't work out so well. Within the family structure, there is breaking. There is uh, some sort of sexual act that happens. And a, a family, a generation breaks off. And there is this incredible division that happens, again, through Ham's family. And so, again, the world itself cannot fix itself. It needs a savior. So God, again, does this idea of moving through a family. And this is the beautiful thing that God does over and over again. Through family, initially, through gathering people, he desires to gather people to live differently, by a different set of rules, to bring renewal to the earth. And so if we look at Genesis chapter 12, just for a moment, the opening words to Abraham, or Father Abraham as we know, Go from your country and your kindred and your family's house to land. I will show you and I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing for yourselves. No, a blessing to the world. I will bless you and those who bless you. For him who dishonors, I will curse. And in all the families of the earth shall be blessed by you. Do you notice a pattern? He gathers... He reforms. He says, follow my ways so that you can be a blessing. This family explodes. And the cool thing is, even in this moment, Jacob has a heaven and earth overlap. There's this moment where Jacob is dreaming and suddenly has a vision of heaven. And he says, I did not know that heaven was on earth right now. This story continues and they grow and grow, but they get captured by a kingdom of this world. And that kingdom is the Egyptian kingdom, the pharaohs. And so this once free country is now enslaved to it. And so what does God do? He raises up a person, Moses. He gathers a family together. He says, will you change your ways and come follow me. And so the boxing gloves come off with God, right? Like God versus Pharaoh, heavyweight champion of the world, God stepping into the ring. Tiny little Pharaoh coming into that space thinking, I'm going to take you. I don't know you, God. I don't know who you are, but I know what kind of kingdom I have. And so they go head to head, 10 rounds, and God wins every single one of them. And it's an amazing moment as these two kingdoms come together that in Exodus 15, we see the first time that the children of Israel declare that God is king. They sing a song of victory as they are going through on the other side of the Red Sea. Our king forever. This is the narrative that we see. He takes a people, he gathers them and brings them to Mount Sinai and says, would you follow my ways? Would you live countercultural to this world to bring renewal and blessing to this world? Do you get the repetitive pattern that's happening? And it carries on because how do they do? Not great. Again, yeah, this is like... He, he, the grace that God has over and over again to hand out, try again, try again, try again. And so they decide that they want their own king. Now, King David probably comes closest, but even him, he falls massively short. And so the string of kings, way worse than better, live and reign. And so there is desperation. The narrative of the Jewish person is, one day there will be a king on earth that will rule and reign to bring renewal to this world. That is the Jewish understanding. And they still, to this day, wait for the Elijah. They still wait every Passover. Every time around this time, they're going to gather around a table and ask the question. And their little kid will go outside, is Elijah there yet? And he'll come back and say no. And that's a reality that they live in. In fact, 2 Chronicles, the end of the Jewish book, not the same as our book, actually ends with that question, will the king come and go up? It's like the sentence ends incomplete because there's longing in the people and we know that who that person is. We know that when Jesus comes up onto the scene, he is described in two ways because we have a cancer that we cannot save. We have a cancer that cannot be saved through leadership, um, through all the right thoughts, the next tech, the next app. We have no ability to save ourselves We need a touch from God. We need a changed heart. And so John in the gospel will illuminate Jesus this way. He will say, look, the flesh has come and dwelt among us. That word among us, tabernacle. In other words, Jesus has come and tabernacled amongst us. The temple of God, the overlapping, just one part I forgot. The temple was the moment where God would overlap heaven and earth. And so now they're shifting from a building, a space, into a person, into the person of Jesus. Mark, uh, yeah, and Mark as well, they will say, to look, the Lamb of God has come to, to take away all the sins of the world. So this perfect man, temple, heaven and earth engaged, is coming to be the sacrifice to take away all our sins and to bring heaven and earth together. And these opening lines that I love, the very first red letters in Mark. So if you have a Bible that has red letters, the very first things out of Jesus' mouth in Mark is this. The time is fulfilled. Can you imagine being a Jewish person in that day, hearing those words after failure, after failure, after failure. Time is fulfilled, guys. The freedom is here. Think about it. Fourth of July. Let's go there. Right for that moment where freedom, guys, is here. The reality is here. The time is fulfilled. No longer get those Brits out of here. The time is fulfilled, guys. See, I'm comfortable in this. I'm good. We'll live in this tension. The time is fulfilled. And he said these words, the kingdom of God has come. Now repent and believe the good news. If you were to imagine Jesus in your minds, what is something that you would bring to mind about Jesus? What teaching would you bring to mind about Jesus? Would it be that he takes away all the sins of the world? Would it be love your neighbor as yourself? Would it be the enemy, love Love your enemy? What comes to mind when you think of Jesus? Because what you think about Jesus says everything about how you're going to see the world. Do you know more, and I did a little Bible study, thankful to Bible software. This did not take long. A little type in, a little search, real good. What is the most common word that Jesus used throughout all his ministry? Love. And we would say that, right? We would say love, grace, mercy. No, kingdom is the one word that he uses over and over again. There is 700 and something words love throughout the whole Bible. There is 400 and something words of kingdom, but God, Jesus, uses 150 times. He is like turning up the volume on kingdom language. The kingdom of God has come really far away. What's the word there? Near, at hand in other translations, the kingdom of God is the same. Matthew will use kingdom of heaven. They are both the same meaning. Kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, both exactly the same word, interchangeable. Jesus saying, guys, I need you to repent, which often we think just forgiveness of sins, right? But actually repentance means to change your mind, to do a 180, to say, I'm walking this way, now I'm going to walk this way. Jesus in context is saying, I want you to repent from your mindset that says the kingdom of heaven is far away, that the two worlds have now separated. I want you to repent. I want you to change your mind and believe the good news that the world is changing, that my kingdom is here now. Now, if you're scratching, yes, the yes and amen people get it. They're like, yes, amen. For you question, you're like, that doesn't make sense. And you're in good company because they would have seen that when Jesus said, the kingdom of God is at hand. They'd be like, Romans just walked by. Um, I don't feel any more free than what I do right now, right? And we would hear these words that if you're saying, Johnny, the kingdom of God is at hand, show me. And Jesus was asked the very same question questions over and over again. Just two things quickly. One thing, when America received its freedom, was it instantly free? A lot of wrestling, a lot of breaking. When people get married, when they do the vows, are they instantly suddenly download knowledge of the other person? They have the best marriage straight from the offset. I really wish they be awesome. It was like, I would love, I would love that to happen as I pronounce man and wife, shazam. Like, suddenly, like, you now love each other perfectly. You're never going to have any quarrels or problems. It'd be amazing, wouldn't it? For whatever reason, there is proclamation of a covenant that's made, but there is this time period where things are working itself out, where there's this tension that we live in, where it's the now and not yet. That's the the theological principle that we live. There is the kingdom now, but it is not yet fulfilled until Jesus comes again. We believe that. Jesus is coming again to inaugurate. He's inaugurated his kingdom. He's coming about to bring the fulfillment of his kingdom. Are you tracking with me today? Cool. Second thing is, what do we think the kingdom of God is actually like? Because that's another problem. Because if I thought that Jesus' kingdom, especially in my history, Whenever a kingdom came about, it oppressed me. So if I thought of a kingdom, I think the Roman army, Jesus, you're saying that you've got some awesome army that I don't see right now, hidden somewhere, and you're just going to come rushing in and smash everything up and we're going to live victory. That's what I'm thinking, right? Wouldn't you think the same? Like, I would be down for that kind of Jesus. Let's go. Like, let's bring about the kingdom of God. And Peter was like that. He was number one. So when are we going to break this? In fact, with James and John, when are we going to burn down this city? The expectation of prayer that these guys actually pray, which is very countercultural Jesus, but goes to show that you can have Jesus and still have different thought processes to what he says. But Jesus' kingdom looked like this. And remember our principle, he gathers... He reforms. He renews. And so the opening words of Matthew, after declaring the kingdom of heaven is at hand, after announcing that, Jesus instantly says to a bunch of uh, fishermen, regular Joes, guys of the day, hey, come follow me. And he takes these teachings around Galilee, around uh, all the areas telling this message, the kingdom of God is at hand. Change your thinking. It's not far away. It's here. Change it. Come close. Come, follow me. Jesus and his merry men and women walking around. And so the invitation of come and follow me. So what does the kingdom look like though, Jesus? Matthew does this for us. And he went through all of Galilee teaching. So if we follow the gospel of Matthew, Matthew is actually going to lay that out for us. Five to seven, this little sermon called Sermon on the Mount, just a small little thing that Jesus does. He talks about a new kingdom. He teaches. He brings brings reformation to the mindsets of people because our minds are key in bringing transformation. He was telling a different story of the day to not only not kill people, but don't get angry at them. To not only not be faithful to your wife or husband, to actually not look lustfully on another person, to let your yes be yes, um, to let, this is the kicker, to love your enemy. Now, you, they said, hey, you understand love your neighbor but hate your enemy. Well, I'm flipping that kingdom switch upside down. I want you to love your enemy. In fact, enemy love is what brought down the the reign of Rome. Over time, love brought down the kingdom. It was the enemy love that did this. So this teaching changed, this reformation. Then what did Jesus do? He was proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. He was sozoing people. Now, sozo can mean both physical healing and salvation. He was bringing healing to everything in this space. It wasn't just physical. He was doing soul work. He was doing all sorts of renewal inside of us. Isn't that cool? Is that what you would think a kingdom would look like, though? Probably not. I mean, I'm down for like, you know, a little bit more, especially in the tension in this country right now. We would look to manpower breaking down the system, shouting louder, you know, trying to do another narrative. Jesus has a very different way of bringing about his kingdom and it's through love. And love is slow. Love is patient. (laughs) Felt that in the room, right? Love is compassionate. This is the marks of the kingdom of God. And it was super confusing because it didn't get any better. Because this king would go die on the cross he would die to his oppressors. And it was through his death that he had victory over the rule and reign of this world. That's countercultural. That we would be people that die, die to ourselves, die, die to the way that we think the world should be, and pick up the ways of Jesus. And in that, Jesus says, The kingdom is not far from you. When we live countercultural, because this is the message, get this. Why would Jesus die and rise again in a physical form if he didn't mean for this world to be transformed? Why did he send his Holy Spirit, the same power that conquered the grave, inside each and every one of us if he didn't mean to transform the world? Why did he take 12, 120, why did he leave them with a set of ways to live, if it was not to change our worlds. These are the questions that I want you to actually start thinking. And maybe for some of you, have just never even thought about any of this, because I want you to tell you the truth today: Heaven is pressing in. Heaven is pressing in, not pulling you out. That's why the final words of Jesus: He goes and ascends to the Father. He wants you to make disciples of all nations all cultures. It's what he desires for you to do. And so maybe today you've come into this space, and I was like, I just wanted a good word of like hope, Johnny. I just wanted to kind of get through my day. And I'm saying, actually, not only that, he wants you to be an ambassador of transformation to your world. And this is where it's like, kick to the stomach, knee jerk, I don't know if I believe you. And this is why the mind is so important to be transformed by the world. And let's see how this plays out. Because how do the people of God do? Actually, pretty good. Like Not perfect by any means, but pretty good. And Peter, remember the guy who was all about his rah-rah kingdom, now is changed the narrative. The one who was once scared is bold. He declares salvation to thousands of people. And there's this another narrative that happens. Remember, after that amazing occasion, uh, Peter and John are on their way uh, to synagogue, and they see a lame man, and they heal him. And suddenly, all the people are freaking out. They're like, this guy we knew at Gate Beautiful was always there for so many years. And now you're changing this, the that narrative. There's healing. What on earth is happening? Wasn't there that guy, Jesus, who did that sort of stuff? How are you guys doing that? And so what does Peter do? He jumps on this moment to declare something. What's these words? Repent. Where have we heard that before? Jesus. Repent. The first words: is repent then and turn to God so that, you may, that your sins may be wiped out. Times of refreshing, renewal may come from the Lord that he may send the Messiah. This is important, guys. Who has been appointed for you? Even Jesus Heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore partially things. Little bit of something in the corner right there. Just a little glimmer of hope. i will work with anything, you know. No, no. God says this to restore everything. Wow. Restore everything as he promised long ago for his holy prophets. If That's not enough. Paul, another. Oh, sorry. Actually, I'll come back to that one. Let's go to this one. Yeah, yeah. Paul, 2 Corinthians 5.18, he says this, All this from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that in Christ was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting us, that means y'all in the southern accent, y'all to the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. That's your identity. You are an ambassador of Christ. You are now mandated as a follower of Jesus. As you renew your mind, you lean into his teachings as a follower of Jesus to bring renewal to this world. Why? Because there's a kingdom narrative that ends this way. These are the final pages in Revelation. And I saw a holy city, a new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for the husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. We're not off in some fluffy cloud area. We're actually here on earth. The world has been restored. The kingdom of God has come down on this planet. Some of you just maybe need to sit with that for a bit because you've cursed this world You've cursed this place. Get me out of here. And God's saying, actually, I want my heaven to impose on this space. And actually, I want the Holy Spirit inside of you to come alive. The invitation is, would you have faith to believe? Because this is the beautiful narrative. He will dwell with them, and they will be with his people. This is why I talk about we have a present hell, but hell is a reality where God is void of right? God is void of hell, and people don't want to be around Jesus, well, they just want to go to hell. It's not that God's punishing them. It's that they don't want to be around Him, and He's an absent of that. If you really hate Jesus, why would you want to spend eternity with Him? It's the reality of hell that we want to and I know, I know it seems weird because why wouldn't you want Jesus? Why don't we want to wipe away every tear from the eyes and the death shall be no more. Neither shall mourning, no crying, no pain anymore, amen? Like that's the narrative we want to live by. But some people are so disdained to the way of Jesus, the surrendering of Jesus, they just don't want it. Where God is not, goodness is not. The former things have passed away. And it was seated on the throne, and love this word, behold, I am making all things new. Not I am making new things, but I am making things that were old into brand new, never seen before, amazing things. Amen? That's the narrative that we live by. And so we will one day, with a new heaven and earth, where the city and earth, it will be a garden city. It started, if you read Revelation 22, it started in a garden with a tree and it ends with a garden in a city with a tree. And this is the beautiful thing that we get to be part of. So how do we do this? Pressing of heaven, gathering, reforming, and renewing. Because, Johnny, I came in and I'm just barely awake right now. Like, you don't know my life. You don't know my stuff. And wonderful thing that even just, Rick, thank you so much for your vulnerability and your sharing. That's what it is. A person who's just hungry after the way of Jesus. Doesn't mean you have to have it all together. Like so often, we're afraid of sharing this gospel message because we think we have to have all the right answers. It's about pointing people to Jesus. It's about pointing to his revelations, his truth, his ways, being so immersed by this story. And will it be countercultural? 100%, because this country does not want to live in this country. In fact, I think famous people are like, can I go move away? Whatever, right? People are not wanting to be here. And God's saying, I love this world. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son, that we could be one, that we could reign forever. And this is just a question to think about as well. Another question. If the original mandate, the first chapters, was that you were born to rule and reign, to have dominion over this earth, right? That's, that's the, that's the, you can read that for yourself. That is the call. We decided we want to do it our own way. And so God flipped the narrative, died, and brought us back to himself so that we could rule and reign again. That one day, and I love these final words in Revelation 22, There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp of the light of the sun. For the Lord will give it to them, and they will reign forever and ever, and ever, and ever, and ever. God's got some jobs for you to do. There's a big universe. It's massive. There's some work to be done, and God wants to reign. So my question is, you were born to reign. You're going to reign forever. Why not put it into practice now? There's something about the talents that Jesus talks about, a parable that one, five, and ten are given. The evil one is the one that hides it. And he's mad at that person. The five and ten get given more. Each of us are given uniquely different gifts, different talents. What will you do with your talents here on earth? Well, Johnny, what does that all mean? The invitation is to come join our journey. The invitation is for us to learn what this is. I'm not going to give you a three-point and this is how you do it. Actually, the invitation is we're following Jesus to discover what that is. Would you come along with us? Would you come and learn as we grow together, as we follow Jesus together, as we grow in wholeness for the renewal of all things, would we... Decide that actually I want to be part of this community because I want to know my identity in Christ. That to rule and reign, that's what I'm called to do. How do I do that? And so if you're new to this, I want you to wrestle with this. Scripture actually invites you to wrestle. Jesus never um, slammed anyone for a question. He slammed people for disbelief, but he never shoved away a question. In fact, he loved the questions. He actually loves the people who doubt. But all he asks is that you come and follow him. Come and follow him. And so maybe all of this just feels way overwhelming and you're just like, I don't know. Why don't you just come on a journey? Why don't you come and actually just read what the Bible says? These people were not immersed by uh, Greek culture of the day. Plato has done a very bad thing for us. Plato is the one that said, the body is evil and the world is evil. And so Platonism has... Delved into our culture. Twitter does no good for you. Facebook, Instagram, just turning on the TV. It will tell you because the enemy wants you to live one day out of here. The devil doesn't mind you have a faith in Jesus if it's kept quiet. He doesn't care. Go follow Jesus by yourself. Look disempowered. It actually does me a greater joy. And this is not a condemnation. This is not a slam. This is an invitation. But actually, because of the Holy Spirit, there is more to your life. The invitation is you are a king and a queen. You are called to rule and reign. And we want to journey together, rethinking heaven. Heaven is here. Heaven is now. Let's bring renewal to this world. Let's pray.